0: Welcome to A Pitcher of Beer with Stick It in Your Ear, a 24-year-old record store in Springfield, Missouri. I'm your host, Nathan Weidman, here with owner Wes Nichols to drink beer and unlock the black holes of his mind. So grab a beer and attempt to understand the wealth of useless but kick-ass
1: information. Today we are mourning the sad and unexpected death of Tom Petty. Petty was a, uh, he was what you would call kind of a quiet hero of mine. I didn't talk a lot about Petty. I remember in the in the old days, in the days even when I was in like grade school and junior high and high school, he was incredibly respected in rock and roll, and he was one of those few guys that kept his dignity and kept sharp and kept riding, even through the you know, what a lot of people would call his lean years when people kind of stopped buying his stuff in the millions, which was, uh, I would say, from the the uh, after-the-box hit, you know, with Echo and yeah. uh, Last DJ. and. Uh, it was a big break, Highway think, Companion.
0: The greatest hits and then where he was.
1: You know, isn't it weird? Isn't it always, literally, I'm talking to you like, really, for real. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't it weird having the greatest hits spell... It just, Doom. For... I mean, every it, band in the world, yeah. it, they... You'll do fine, it's, it seems, until the greatest hits, and very few can break that after yeah. the greatest hits. The Cars, Primings... I mean, you name all these bands that had greatest hits, you know, you can go to kind of shit soft bands, ABBA, If yeah. they have a greatest hits, yep. career over, done. Cars, the career course. over, yeah. done. Yeah. You know? I, I don't know why that is. It's like the... Uh, you know the. It's like a sequel
0: to a movie. The break, pretty much. right? You know, right. like you have this great, this great work area, and then you're like, you know what? Let's just yeah remember it and put out this. Well, this and it's, one. it
1: seems like it's always bands they do greatest hits, almost all the time out of contractual obligation. They go, okay, well yeah. we owe our or, or label got enough for two, discs one more, right, like, yeah. right, and so they end up doing the hits, but it, once again for Patty. That hits comes out, and it's it's an amazing thing. And then it kind of fell apart. I mean, he had a box set after that, but uh, it just seemed like after, shoot, that would have been the 70s, 75 or 6, when uh, the first two Petty Records came out on Shelter, which was Leon Russell's label, by the way. And, and they had a, I, from what I know, they had a, a kindred spirit and this guy named Denny Cordell. And Cordell was a a southern Florida guy. And that's where Petty at the time had gathered together the pre the pre Heartbreakers called Mud Crutch. And they yeah. were they were just these kind of, you know, a garage rock post psych mm-hmm. band from Florida. And even though Leon Russell was in a uh, of course, his, his home studio was at a church that he had transferred into a studio there in Tulsa. He was spending a lot of his time in LA. But he and Denny Cordell, who had both worked with George Harrison in the past, uh, decided after Bangladesh that, hey, man, we'll start a label. And um, so Leon Russell started his label called Shelter Records. And it did extremely well for about 10 years. And uh, Leon, of course, all of his records did well in the early 70s, so that helped the label. But they somehow, Danny Cordell, saw these cats, these, these Mud Crutch guys. And it was right about the time Mud Crutch was breaking up, which was maybe late 74, early 75. And Petty said, well, I've got these new guys that I'm kind of playing with, which eventually became Mike Campbell and Ben Tench, which were the, the it was, that was the inception of the Heartbreakers. And by late 75, I think Cordell had seen him enough in, uh, in Florida and said, you know, come out and we're going to record a record. And, and I believe that first petty was recorded half in a hideaway. And none of it, I don't think, was recorded at Leon Russell's place in Tulsa. But some was recorded, I think, there in Florida and some in L.A. And after that, they, they hung out. On uh, on the Shelter label for two or three records, and if you guys out there um, are looking for rare rare Petty, uh, go try to find those first three or four records, not on the MCA label, but on Shelter records, and uh, those records are worth uh, worth some money. But uh, yeah, a sad sad deal. What's your take on Petty? You know, I know that you you probably well, I came
0: in after after the greatest hit, so my. My upbringing would have been the greatest hits, but I bought—I think I bought all the new stuff. You know, the Hypnotic Eye was right. a great album. The, you know, the really the comeback of uh, Petty in uh, the 2000s. I mean, he what had, did you
1: think about his quote that said? Well, it was, again, it was a hit on Clear Channel that said, "How in the fuck can somebody that professes?" To support classic rock and classic bands, and they won't break a new song by an old band. That really yeah. tore him apart.
0: I don't. I don't. They. I, and that might be another reason why it's hard for people to come back from that greatest hits deal. Is maybe maybe people look at it as uh, he's he's done. You know that that's the end of his classic rock. If you want to yeah call an end to that era and his then, run yeah and then right. bringing in this new and you know robert plant's kind of the same way you gotta make new stuff that's just as good but you, he changed yeah, with the times he, he, you have to change with the times and what robert plant just broke away from led zeppelin and did this really great deal on his own and i i think tom petty was just trying to keep up with the, the modern times of music and it wasn't, you know, Hypnotic Eye wasn't anything like his Greatest Hits album was. I am mean, that was a little more electronic, right. if I remember, and it just was different. And I liked it, but maybe not everyone you liked know, it. You know, I maybe not everyone the last one, I think, as, that I
1: paid attention to and really, really gave it a, a second and third and fourth chance was the album The Last DJ, yeah. and it was such a well-written record. And there were great songs on it, like there were Full Moon Fever and Into the Great Wide Open and the early stuff, like Damn the Torpedoes. But it's just, it's so sad to say, but sometimes when when your time leaves you Mm -hmm. and radio doesn't embrace it, it's the familiarity of the song that doesn't resonate anymore because you don't hear that song on radio ten times a day. Or you might get used to it. But the last DJ, I think, was him saying, this is probably the last... Vestige of, of me being yeah. old Tom Petty. And it was a great record, but once again, I couldn't get into it because it wasn't kind of fed along with, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you turn on the radio, it's wasn't. not there. You had to really, I, really. I wonder how much here. of
0: Clear Channel is based off of sales. Because album sales now, compared, like, with all the, the streaming services and stuff, album sales now, you know, when you sold a record in the 70s, or, and it was, oh, we sold a million copies, it was on the radio, and there was no question, like, you knew it was going to be on the radio, and now, well, I don't it, know it, how it, much of that
1: is still... I think you're right. Here, Here's the thing. The public used to make those decisions, and so... Yeah the conglomerates and the corporations were reactive. What yep. they liked, what what they sensed that we liked, they would show us again and again and again and yep. again. Or in, the, in radio's case, play it again and yep. again and again. But now, the word is dictate. They yeah. create these things. Small amounts say this is the sound, you know, mm. and then they force feed it to us. Yeah. It, they dictate. I think we more are now we will listen to what they play rather than we will figure out what's cool and hopefully yeah. they'll play it, they'll, they'll catch on. I think that it's really sad. It's a machine-like yeah. thing that starts to dictate.
0: But, and then when you look, about, or look at how classic rock evolved to like now Metallica is part of that now. And another thing, you know, Tom Petty uh, had his day and he his he had several songs in that classic rock you know that era and we move on to these new groups and then tom petty kind of fell off you don't hear springsteen on the radio you don't hear robert plant on the radio no, no, you know and we have we've just moved from classic rock is not in the 70s and we moved into the end of the 80s and now you know metallica's on classic rock you have got right. all these you know well, pearl jam and you know you just kind of
1: you know, when corporations through through. When corporations do demographics, they say primary markets are going to be strong all the time because they're dictated yeah. by advertising dollars. Mm-hmm. But over the last 20 years, I would say, and we've talked about it before, the late 90s was kind of the last vestige of what I call free radio or second secondary market yeah. radio and local radio. Because now you can't go to these small towns and these secondary markets and hear... The, the, each DJ mm-hmm. play a piece of him. Yeah. Those days are gone because your, your Clear Channels, your Midwest, all these these huge corporations have come and said, listen, we can guarantee you bigger Coke money, mm-hmm. we guarantee you bigger Anheuser-Busch money, we can yeah. guarantee you all this to pay your bills mm-hmm. and more, mm-hmm. and to, to basically put a cart in there, which it's not a cart anymore, but it's all zapped yeah. in. You're zapped in. And we're lucky we even have DJs yeah. anymore.
0: Well, and three or four of our ra- our local radio stations are out of downstream. Right. And that's, that's yeah. an hour away, you know. Yeah. So you know that they're that far into Oklahoma. They're that, you know, probably right. near Arkansas. Right. Like, right. I mean, that that's a big, a big circle it to is. have the same the same show might be on a different channel, but that's the same show that you're You're force feeding people. I I mean, that's, I know that's a two hour circle. It is. And
1: they, you you know, know. I think they do the, you know, the the day DJs as a service to remind people, you're not just hearing drone radio. You, you, there is a local color to it, Mm -hmm. but if you know anything about radio, it has all been all the power has been taken away from yeah. the jock. The jock has no you know, they can maybe give you their opinion, but barely that anymore. Mm-hmm. They're they're forced to play the same twenty six yeah, songs they give you and the heavy, weather medium, and, the, and light. Rotation. They give you the
0: weather and the local news for like two minutes right. and that's their and that's, that's your that's your specialized and, radio station. That's all you yeah, get.
1: That's right. And, and that that hurt well, all your classic art guys suffered for it, but yeah. especially guys like Petty, it hurt him because he was a cat that really, he, he was an introvert, and a lot of people, a lot of the critics beat him up that he wasn't very talkative, and sometimes he was an asshole. But I think that was just his kind of fire and spit, his vim and vinegar yeah. on being a, a human being. He, di- he didn't have a lot to say, but when he did, it kind of, you know, he was mm-hmm. a pissed off. He he was kind of a Dylan Jr., and I think that's maybe why he and Bob Dylan yeah. Got along but, and so you, well. He
0: was never in the media. He was never in. No, a, not for no. anything bad. Right. Like he, the right, guy really right. was an introvert. He, 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 he was an anomaly. Himself and he yeah. did what he did, yeah. and he did it well. Yeah. And I think that that's that might be why people didn't connect with him, or did, right. or did connect. Yeah. You know, you maybe, look at it either maybe way. That,
1: maybe that helped him. Yeah, being that kind of mysterious, so the guy that you know really you didn't know too much about. Yeah. But I think the bottom line is his body of work was so mm-hmm. fantastically yeah. accurate and, and it, it was, didn't waver. And it, I, didn't I, waver. It, it, it
0: was thick too. There weren't many years that you didn't hear from him. You right. know, he's not right. like one of these bands like, right. oh, seven years later we got a new right. album out. You know, he, he really his work really was.
1: I, Consistent. Yeah, it, it was I a mean, consistent and it, and body it happened,
0: work. and you could count on it. Well, so, and like it, you, didn't,
1: it didn't change, and, and no. I don't want to compare the two, but Petty and the Heartbreakers was much like Pink Floyd. Times might have changed around him, yeah. but, you know, when Disco came around, you know, Floyd was doing animals, mm-hmm. and that's about a psych and weird and, yeah. and still proggy and, and, and VCX3, you know, Uh, keyboards and it was still a fuck you to whatever was going on and Petty in the mid 80's did a song called Jammin' Me Mm -hmm. I think that was off of Let Me Up I've Had Enough or something like that but anyway it was him saying you know all these these fucking things that are changing and I'm Mm -hmm. not gonna change Mm -hmm. man just go away all this shit Mm -hmm. go away because you're just a fad Mm -hmm. and uh, but and he got away with that because then he comes back I think a, a big helping his career though, he might have maybe lost another 10 years without the help of Jeff Lynn at BLO. Yeah. And Jeff was really responsible for not only Petty's mm-hmm. sound, but the resurrection of George Harrison and uh, even Lynn's solo career, Jeff mm-hmm. Lynn's solo career. But he had that, that kind of Phil specter, you, when you heard a Jeff Lynn produced record, from about '84 to '94, you knew yeah. that was a Jeff Lynne-produced mm-hmm. record. Whether it yeah. was Traveling Wilburys, whether it was Roy Orbison's yeah. last record, which was a phenomenal. People tend to forget that. You know, you got it, record. Yeah. Um, you know the couple of Dylans that he produced in the late '80s, the three or four. He and I think maybe even produced more Pettys than that. He produced a couple of Petty solos and probably yeah. three Petty and the Heartbreakers, record. yeah. and they were the greatest of friends. And I've yet. I don't, I mean, correct me, everybody out there in Podland, but uh, I don't think he was so hurt, Jeff was, that I don't think he's made a public statement. All these other guys have Dylan, and I yeah, don't think I don't. Jeff Lynn's talked about yeah. it. It just crushed him.
0: And I and I think that very few of these big, big bands have that kind of connection, like, you know, the, right. the Ronnie Spector and... Uh, Springsteen made uh, the E Street Band made albums with Ronnie Spector you just have to to make a record the way you want it to sound, you have right. to know someone like that, and they have to know you, and okay. that really—that
1: relationship point, yeah. is, is okay.
0: huge, right? You know, because a lot of times, and you hear the horror stories of people, you know, I, I want it to be like this, and they they say no, like I mean, you can't do that, it won't sure. be it, and you have to trust that. Well, and, and as, good as good as like a guy that,
1: like Rick Rubin was, yeah, you know, unless you go back to those beasties records you don't know you, you go okay well somebody produced yeah. you hear that, those Johnny Cash records and they're good records and it probably wouldn't have been those records without Rick Rubin yeah. but you don't hear his stamp on them no. you hear a Jeff Lynn stamped record mm. you hear a Phil Spector yeah. stamped record there's certain guys that produce a certain way and those are you know those records mm-hmm. and, and Jeff Lynn and Jeff Lynn knows that but it's weird it, it all goes back to the Beatles because Jeff Lynn was in a band in the 60's called The Birthday Party and then The Move and they were just worshippers of of the Beatles at the time and uh, I think there was at some point in time in the early 70s where Harrison had said man I really like this new band ELO and so eventually down the line he and uh, Jeff Lynn and George Harrison got together and of course Harrison was buddies with Petty yeah and so they were all buddies man it was it was Dylan and Roy and that's how that traveling and those two traveling Wilburys that's just the mark of Jeff Lynn it's yeah. that heavily produced you know very kind of wet drum and bass which I absolutely love those yeah. sounds and Petty you know those records fit the His solo and the yeah. heartbreaker sounds so well that real thick, mm-hmm. deep, drony, kind of sad. even the the upbeat songs had a, a, a kind of a, an angle of melancholy to it. Yeah. you know, you know, uh, you know, freefall. These were all kind of dreary, almost pop psych songs, yeah. you know, and uh, I won't back down kind of an aggressive song, but still, you know the solos were very dreary the thing, and, yeah. And, and yeah, very wah wah peddling, darky and yeah. And so I'm gonna miss that guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just miss his uh, his stance. He didn't compromise, he that's the word. He was uncompromising yeah. and said, I'm just gonna fucking kind of. You yeah. said you said it kind of changed on Hypnotic Eye, and I can't I can't profess that. I know that record, and it's oh, sad, but did. I didn't I didn't know that record. But up until probably that, I, I never heard a record that changed that wasn't just, that's petty, man, that's petty. And uh, and I guess it was time. Uh, you know, my son Morrison saw the last show, show a couple of weeks ago at the Hollywood Bowl and said he was just kicking. He said he seemed more active than he had ever been and smiling and laughing and saying funny shit. And But uh, I did see there was uh, what I think they said was the last... Interview that TMZ had on, yeah. and he just looked horrible. Yeah, he uh, he he looked kind of gray. Well, he was so. I he, mean,
0: he what he he just got done touring, right? Yes, like they, yeah. They, they I think just, three
1: four days before, and he was yeah. at Malibu. And Mike Campbell was on NPR the other day, and they they said, "Well, you know, where you shocked?" He goes, "Yeah, we were all shocked." Yeah. But there were so many times he would have a cigarette behind his ear, and he goes, "You know what?" guy, you know, someone would come up on longevity or, or mortality or whatever, and he goes, you know, these fucking things right here, this is what's going to kill me. Yeah. I've been smoking between two and three packs of these a day since I was 15. Yeah. And so that's, you know, the, the insidious drug of of tobacco is what killed him, yeah. you know? 66, you know? Yeah, that's... That's awfully young. You know, yeah. you can do a lot of drugs, and I know guys, you know, you got your Keith Richards in well, yeah, you your fucking... It, but yeah, Springsteen's 68,
0: Right. The guy right. didn't smoke. I don't right. think the guy ever smoked.
1: Right. Didn't but, hardly uh,
0: drink. Like right. no drugs. I mean, yeah. and, and it you can really tell yeah. the difference when and it and gets. He's to, lived
1: through it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's why Petty, you know, grew the beard the last three or four yeah. years because Saints He just looked very tired and sallow in the interview, and he he was barely speaking above a whisper. But you know, rest in peace, Tom. Yeah. And I don't know what else to say. But uh, we lose another one. We've lost a bunch, you know, in the last three or four years. But uh, everybody raised a glass to TP and the Heartbreakers. Mm-hmm. Took See us you a while to get time. there, but there you go. We made it. Bye bye.